Here we go, John Took. Um, could you put the next picture? This actually is a real-life picture of John from the... No, it's not. Okay, by the way, it's not. But I just... I, what I did was I, I... This is John 2, okay? We're looking at John's second letter that he wrote. 1 John, 2 John, and then 3 John. And then I just Googled, what was John the Apostle? What did he look like? Anyway, this is what came up, okay? But I wanted to put that up there because I want you to realise that what we're about to read was like a real letter written from an old man to a church. It wasn't just some corporate speak, you know, that few people got together and worked out. Now, this was a real letter, and it's so short that actually it could have been written on a single bit of papyrus, if you really want to know. So anyway, let's um, turn, if you can, to uh, John uh, chapter 2. I should have found it myself first. Just bear with me one minute. Um, I think it's New Testament, isn't it? Uh, okay, so... Sorry? Oh, that's really helpful. Emma's just helpfully pointed out. It's after 1 John. Where is it before? <laughs> It'll be up before 3 John. Yeah, okay, so here we go. So uh, 2 John, and it's 13 verses, and we're just going to read the whole thing. And by the way, just to explain it, he, he start. Oh, no, I'll, I'll read it and explain it. The, 2 John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us and will be with us Forever. Just when he, I'm not going to go through the whole thing like this, but when he says to the dear lady and her children, it's not a lady. He's just using this term to talk about a church that he really loves. You know, sometimes talk about the church. There's the bride of Christ, the feminine term. You know, he's just saying, no, this wonderful lady. And it, there's, he talks about it. He refers to this dear lady again later in such a way that he's clearly talking about the church, not a particular lady and her children. Grace, mercy, and peace. Uh, will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus the Father, Son, in truth and love. Verse 4. I rejoice greatly to find that some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, dear church, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out from the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not, so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, which seems a little bit harsh. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. And the children of your elect sister greet you. Basically, John is writing this letter because the, the church is spreading really rapidly. So, it, you know, the, all the 12 apostles, um, they were there. The, the church was growing and growing and growing. John was the last living apostle. All the others had died. It was probably 60, um, 
I think that 40 years after Jesus had been crucified. So it was quite long. All the other apostles, John was the last one. And the church was just growing and growing and growing. And they were beginning to lose a little bit of, like, like control of what is going on. So when we were coming up in the car, and actually we were talking, and, uh, and we were just thinking, oh, sometimes the gospel is out of control. You know, because you, you see somebody, and then somebody is saved... And then you think, oh, right, well, I must go and like do something. And then, and then they're talking to somebody else about the gospel. And then they're inviting somebody else to church. And we went to a prayer meeting last night. And then there was somebody there that I wasn't really expecting to be there. And then Becca was saying, oh, yeah, but that's because we did a youth weekend away. And then they connected with somebody else. And then they connected. And then they invited them. And I think, oh, I don't know. It's how, but it's just got, a lot, it's got legs of its own. You know, it, the gospel has got this life where people are full of the Holy Spirit. And it, it just it takes off. But John was thinking, ah, how can, we, how can we make sure that this gospel stays as Jesus taught it? How can we make sure that these churches remain true to what um, Jesus had taught us? And some people were, like, were adding little bits in to what Jesus had said. And some people were taking little bits away. And then some people were saying, yeah, but to be honest, I'd probably back, go back to the Old Testament. Why don't we just have circumcision? That's what marks us out. And all these people are doing it. And so John was like, ah, right, okay, we must get this right. This is what John was thinking when he was writing these letters. What can we do to keep these young churches true to the gospel and strong in grace? And if I'm really honest with you, it is similar to like now, isn't it? When it talks about, you know, if somebody's the, you know, saying a different gospel, don't welcome it into your home. Oh, we have all this stuff coming into our homes now. You know, you only need to say, and I think that's why sometimes people don't always come to church every Sunday, because they think, ah, I can watch it in bed. You know, I can just, I can get these great preachers, you know, really good preachers, Duncan, not like you, but I can, I can listen to somebody really good, you know, and I don't even need to get out of bed. And all these people, but some, we just need to be careful what some of these people are saying. And I'll give you some of the, um, uh, some of the clues to how we can judge what people are saying. The first thing, if you... What do you think is the word that just repeats itself time and time again from the first one, two, three, four verses? How did you spot that? That happened happened before, didn't it? Who was it that said truth, first of all? That was so clever. How did you work that one out? Okay. Thanks, Lizzie. Thanks a lot, Rachel. Thanks to you. No. Okay. <laughs> um, it's, it's just talking about truth. It, what he's saying is you, you must know the truth. Guard the truth. Now, what is the truth? Ah, that's not on the board, is it? Don't put it up. <laughs> what, it, what is the truth? Yeah, Piers, by the way, that was a great prophetic word you shared earlier. I really loved it. But yeah, okay, now you can go to the next one. I think. Yeah, Jesus said, no, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And what, what John is saying is that whatever you do, you've got to know Jesus. It's all about knowing Jesus. Jesus re- referred to him as the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to stay on track as a church, if I want to stay on track as, Jesus, uh, as a follower of Jesus... I've just got to know him. I've got to be instantaneously obedient to what he's asked me to do. 
I've got to make him the one that I follow. I've got to allow him to shape my life more than anything else. I've got to lay my life down. The Bible calls, no, we're dying with Christ. I I want to lay everything down just that I could follow him. Let him be the one that we give up absolutely everything for. You know, the Bible has this story of this guy who, who finds a pearl. And he says, he's a pearl dealer pearl trader and he says there's that i found this one pearl that i want and he sells everything else everything else he, he mortgages everything just so we can buy that one pearl and that's the same with jesus when we find jesus that is the one thing all things come together in christ all things does anybody do you ever feel that like sometimes jesus is just like a good luck charm Oh, to be honest, I need a bit of help with my job interview. <laughs> Get Jesus out. Yep, Jesus, will you help me? Yep, great, put him away. I need a parking space. Yeah, Jesus. I need this. I need that. Jesus, let me let you know, Jesus is not a good luck charm. He calls you to die for him. Yeah, but that's not so nice, Duncan, is it? I think that there are more people who have fallen away from God because they have been told that Jesus will just give you what you want. But Jesus says something different. He says, I need you to die with me because when a seed of wheat dies and falls to the ground, what happens? You have a hundredfold. We've become so abundantly fruitful Bizarrely, when we die to Christ. You know, um, I've been reading, reading this book, if I can get it. So, just so you, you know how, how I read my books, okay, what I do is I found, found some books. Somebody talked to me about a book called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. Really amazing book. Uh, Jonathan, have you read it yet? You, shame on you. <laughs> he said it, no, but I, I think you've got it, haven't you? And, like, yeah. So, John Mark Comer, Live No Lies. Really, really good book. How the Enemy Just Speaks Lies Into You All the Time. John Mark Comer talked about a really good book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. Really helpful, just talking about faithfully living for Christ. Eugene Peterson talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer an awful lot. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is an extraordinary guy. This guy, he was, the, he was a, a, a Lutheran pastor in the Second World War, and he basically he stood up to the Nazis. And he was, he was hung by the Gestapo in Flossenburg jail on April, I think it was the 4th. You know, literally weeks before the end of the, of the war. He'd been held in it. Because he just held true to Jesus. And he said, it doesn't matter the cost. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this idea of cheap grace. And basically, cheap grace is, we know that God loves us. Do, do we know that God loves us? Yeah, we do. Do we know that he will care for us? Yeah, we do. Does he know that he will... Do we know that he will forgive us? Yeah. Therefore, it doesn't really matter how you live. Because we know that God will forgive us, and he loves us, and he'll care for us. And some people will say that. And that is a definition of cheap grace. Oh, there's a great... Cheap grace from Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. 
communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. I mean, there's this thing, is, and sometimes that is what we, we want because it's a lot, a lot easier. It's a lot easier. But no, if you know Jesus, Jesus calls us to something else. Let's go to the next slide, Lizzie, can we? Costly grace. So that was cheap grace. Not good. Caused more people to fall away from Jesus than probably many other things. It's dangerous. Cheap grace. Costly grace, on the other hand. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, who, for whose sake a man will pluck out the, the eye, which causes him to stumble. And it's the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciples leave his nets and follow him. Basically, just so you know, Jesus does not want one-eyed, one-armed, one-legged disciples. That is not the point. But the point is this, that I will do anything in my life to enable me to follow Jesus more clearly, and regardless of the cost. Costly grace is instantaneous obedience to Jesus. It's doing things like David and Jackie have done, which is giving their lives to build a church. Sometimes I think, do you know what, I could probably go and do something else. If I'm really honest, I'm a frustrated farmer. I don't like living in London. I would rather go and live. I literally, if I could live in a caravan in the woods, I'd be quite happy. But actually, God has put a call on my life. And sometimes we have to say, what is the call that God has put on our life? David and Jackie have given their lives to build a church. It's costly. What was the first and last thing that Jesus said to the Apostle Peter? When he was by his nets, Jesus said to him, follow me. When he was just about to die, what did Jesus say? Follow me. Just, it's about following Jesus. Levi the tax collector, I sort of realise this and it's just so good. Levi the tax collector was sitting by the gates. Jesus, there is no record in the scriptures of Levi having any prior contact with Jesus. It's an argument from silence, we don't necessarily it's true. But Jesus came up to Levi and he said, um, Levi, I, I just need you to come and follow me. And Levi said, all right, got up and followed Jesus. That's mad. Why? Why? But there was something about Jesus that, that commanded G- him to say, yeah, all right, oh, yeah, I'll give it a go. Or there are loads of stories. That, you know, there's three people that came to Jesus and they said, yeah, Jesus, I'll come on, follow you. Um, but, you know, I won't, I, no, I do need somewhere to live. Foxes have holes and birds have nests. But, and Jesus said, you, you won't have anything. And he said, oh, yeah, maybe not then, yeah. And then another one came up and said, oh, can I just go and bury my father? And another one said, can I go and say goodbye? It's not wrong to bury your relatives and say goodbye to people. But Jesus knew that they were making excuses. They wanted to follow Jesus, but not all the time. You know, it's a bit awkward. It was Jesus, and, but I needed something else as well. And then the rich young ruler, what did, he say to, what did Jesus say to the rich young ruler? He said, okay, yeah, you can follow me, but I need you to go and sell everything you have. It's not wrong to have money, but Jesus had this like, bizarre way of thinking, I know the excuses that you're going to make. I know the excuses. 
I want you to follow me absolutely. And, and so, it's just about placing ourselves in the hands of Jesus. Can I just tell you one story that happened this week? On Tuesday, I just felt grim. Do you, I do, do you ever like, wake up and you just think, I'm not sure if I can really do this. It's just like, I don't know. And I was supposed to go, and Wednesday morning I was supposed to go into Pentonville Prison uh, to, you know, to do the stuff that I normally do every Wednesday, and I just thought, I just can't do it. And I just thought, I'm just going to sit down and pray. And then I read something of Dietrich Bonhoeffer on prayer. And then Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, you know, the Lord's Prayer. Does anybody know the verse that comes before the Lord's, the, when Jesus said the Lord's Prayer? What is the verse that comes before it? Anybody? Teach us to pray. Yeah. But the verse before that, it says, before you ask, God knows everything you need. Which wasn't particularly helpful, because I thought, well, what's the point of praying then? Why? If you know everything I need, what's the point? And then Jesus said, well, and then you should pray like this. And I think what I realised at that point was that before I pray anything, God knows what I need. Therefore, the point of my prayers is this. I am just going to put myself in God's hands. That's all I need to do. My prayer is this. God, you know what I need. Therefore, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. It was a, it was a, it was a revelation for me. And then what happened was, and I went through that and I thought, okay, God, I think this is what the Bible is saying, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'm just going to, pr- I'm not going to pray. Like when the Bible says, you know, give us our daily bread, our daily, uh, give us our bread, our, you know, whatever we need. Give me something to eat today. <laughs> I thought that that was the excuse for me to then start listing all the things that I needed and say, yeah, I need this. But no, maybe it was enough for me to say, just give me what I need today. And I prayed that prayer. And then two hours later, I think it was about two hours later, this guy rang me up, and he, he was, the, it was a construction manager of Barrett Homes who had refurbished our building for us. And he rang me up and he said, Duncan, I've got about £15,000 I need to give to you, and I've got, I think it's 600, uh, 300 or 600 volunteer hours from our staff that they want to come and give to you, to the food bank, to anything you want. Now, I hadn't spoken to that guy for like about four years, and I, just, I felt, I just learned something that actually, no, it's Jesus, I'm just going to put myself in your hands. And if I put myself in your hands, you are going to give everything that I need. You're going to give it all. And so if we get into a place where it's something other than just about submitting our lives to Jesus, okay, well, no, let's not go there. And do you know what? Sometimes I do not feel like submitting to Jesus. Put your hands up if you feel like submitting to Jesus all of the time. Okay, so nobody. Hands up then. Okay, let's do it the other way. Hands up if some of the time you do not feel like submitting to Jesus. Hands up if you can't be bothered to put your hand up at all. Okay, yeah. Okay, but I do not feel like submitting my life to Jesus sometimes. I just want to read this, this quote. If Christians worshipped only when they felt like it, there would be precious little worship. 
Feelings are important in many areas, but completely unreliable in matters of faith. The Bible wastes very little time on the way that we feel. It's a little bit harsh, I think. We think that if we don't feel something, there's no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something very different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel our ways, feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God. What a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. And sometimes, like for example, when I come to church, I do not feel like worshipping. Trust me, I don't. But I think, I, I, but God, I'm, I'm not going to go with what I feel. I'm just going to go with what, I cho- with what I've chosen. Sometimes I trust, I do not want to come to church. Hands up if you've ever felt that. No, no, I won't ask you that. <laughs> I don't, but I don't want to do it. Sometimes we have an early morning prayer meeting at, at 6.30 every Friday morning. Trust me, every single Friday morning, I do not want to. Like morning, I do not like the mornings and the mornings do not like me. But I've just chosen, and the, I can't, I can't like feel, in, sort of get these feelings for God. But what I can do is I can set my alarm, and I can be in the room. And over the years, I've found that if I'm in the room, I'm more likely to grow in worshiping Jesus. And the feelings sometimes follow the cho- the choices that we make. And I, I think I'm. We must make these choices. What John is saying, if this church wants to survive, the church that he was writing to, and therefore as us, as a church, you know, if we, want to, it's, we, we must say it's Jesus first. We're just going to follow him. We're going to be obedient to him. Right, sorry, I got slightly overexcited on that one. Just the next verse. Oh, by the way, we're going to... What time do you want me to finish? 3.30. 12? Okay. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though you were, I was writing a new commandment, but the one that we have from the very beginning, that we should love one another. I think we probably know that it is the greatest commandment that we love God and that we authentically love one another. We probably know it, but it's a slight difference from actually doing it. From loving God with all of our heart, from loving our neighbour as ourselves, from loving our enemies. I found this quote, that the mark of Christian authenticity is to make that conscious decision of the will to give ourselves away in caring for one another. There is never a day in our lives when it does not need to be renewed and reaffirmed. Does anybody struggle to love the people that don't like us? Yeah. It's not nice. There are some people that just wind me up so much. And there are some, some of the boys that I play rugby with really, really like winding me up. <laughs> well, that's why, that's why we're quite playing it, to be honest. But I enjoy it. But it, there are sometimes I think, okay, God, I'm just going to choose to love this person. And the truth of the matter is that when we make those choices, God sometimes brings the feelings on the back of it. And that's how the church grew, because it learned what it was to love their enemies. John 13, verse 34 and 35 says this, All men and all women will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A new commandment I've given you, 
love one another. I think, I don't know what, what loving people around you looks like, and it will be different for the different gifts that we have. But if we're not able to genuinely say we've learned what it is to love the people around us, and to give ourselves and to spend ourselves without cost, then we're not really living the Christian gospel. And so what John is saying is this. If the church wants to survive, Jesus at the front, learn to love other people. Okay, and we're just going to go through quite quickly. The next one, it says, Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming, uh, do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in their flesh. Any teaching that doesn't, any Christian teaching that doesn't talk about total surrender to Jesus, bin it. Do not go there. Do not go there. And what's more the point, you know sometimes there are some Christian ministries that are quite, they're a bit like one-armed birds. You Really for a bird to fly, obviously you need two, but imagine what it would be like if you had this really gracious eagle, but it only had one, arm, one wing and it's, you know, it's, it's, just, it's not going to do it, is it? It's not going to, but there are some Christian ministries that are one-armed birds in that all they ever talk about is the prophetic. All they ever talk about is, I don't know, it can be anything. All they ever talk about is healing. All they ever talk about is social justice. All they, and they just talk about one thing all the time. And just, I'd be so, so careful of those things. Be really cautious. But accept and embrace any ministry that talks about loving Jesus and loving one another. Um, just very quickly, we're going to move on. Uh, no, I think we're going to get another. We're going to look at that. That's the last verse to go to. It says this: Watch yourself, so that you may have, you may not lose what you've worked for, but you may will, may win a full reward. It's talking about legacy. What would you like written on your gravestone? What would you like the legacy to be of your life? Because at one point, well, that, no, okay, r- rumour has it that after two generations, people don't know anything about you. Bit sad. So I knew my dad and my mum. I knew my grandma and my grandpa. My great-grandpa, not a clue. I don't know anything about I don't even know his name. Two generations, everything's lost. Therefore, we have to think, what do I want the legacy of my life to be? And it's got to be investing in other people and investing in the gospel. And I think, you know, I always think when I go to, like, to Trinity Church, I, the thing that I want, and I've said this a few times, more than anything is, I want to drive past Trinity Church when I'm like 80, 85, okay, and I haven't been there for donkey's years, and I want there, there still to be this vibrant church that is alive to Christ you know and and people are worshipping and I want to walk in the door and I want somebody to say to me oh hello is this your first time here and I'm going to say uh yeah it is sort of yeah I've been here for 10 or 15 years used to come here you know but I, I want that legacy of this church being so vibrant and full of the spirit and charismatic and people prophesying and speaking in tongues and this extraordinary worship coming out. But I want that to be the legacy. And if you want that sort of legacy in your life, this is what this this verses are talking about. Focus on Jesus. Love one another. Okay, lastly. 
Um, yeah, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face so that our joy will be complete. I just think, well done for being here. Sometimes you just have to be in the room. Sometimes you just have to be here. And, you know, sometimes I think coming to church is such an extraordinary gift because it just sets a pattern in your life. I was talking to them just the other day and thinking, I just know that every Sunday, I don't, I'm not, I don't even think about it. John, on Sunday mornings, do you think whether you're going to come to church or not? You do, but every Sunday you just make a choice, don't you? I've never been here when John hasn't been here. Never. Yeah, you do get here on time, and you like tell me off every time that I'm not eating enough marmite and everything like that. And you always tell me, yeah, I know, I know, you've got it on, yeah. But I don't think he just doesn't. Like... Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Every Sunday, just here, and I think I and I want to be like that. Every Sunday, just here, because it sets this pattern in, in our lives, you know, about thinking, I need some structure in my life. I don't want to wake up and everything, oh, shall I go to church or not? No, I don't want to, I just want to be here. It's really a really helpful thing. It nurtures our need to be with one another. It centres our attention on Jesus. I'm going to finish. If you want to summarise John's letter, it says this. Keep everything about Jesus. Instantaneously obedient to him. And then it says this, learn to love one another with costly, rich love. Can I just ask you to stand? And um, Robin, can we have the band back up? When I was uh, praying, I felt that the Lord might just bring to our own minds decisions that we need to make that basically are about surrendering everything to Jesus. Not like the, the man that said, I will follow you, Jesus, but first let me do this. First, let me go and bury my parents or say goodbye. And, and whilst we've been looking at these verses, the Holy Spirit may just have been prompting you and pointing something out to you that you're saying, yeah, you do want to follow Jesus, but I'm also, I just need to do this. I'm just going to hold on to this. And I feel the Holy Spirit is inviting us today to lay everything down for him. To just follow Jesus. I love the song that we we sung earlier. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me. The world behind me. And the cross before us may well be the cross of Jesus that we look to for our salvation, but it may well be things that we need to lay down that we would follow after Jesus.
And so, Lord, just in a moment, we give these things. You don't have to search for them. You don't have to rack your mind. But if there is something that the Holy Spirit is just pinpointing to you now, then bring it to the Lord. Just so you're aware, if there's a general feeling, a general feeling of not surrendering your life to Christ, but you know you're a Christian, I would say to you, ignore that. But I believe the Holy Spirit does specific work. And the Holy Spirit will specifically speak into our lives and convict us of something. And so, Lord, we bring it to you. We want to be all in for you. Have our lives, Lord. We will follow you. Father, we just pray that we know that there is a cost to following you. And with Holy Spirit, we invite you just to come and minister to us. Minister to us. I pray that you'd make us so abundantly fruitful. Abundantly fruitful, I ask the Lord. Not out of our own strength because we've laid everything before you and decided to follow you.